so again and again and again, we come back to the plasticity of the brain, uh, that all these roots are laid in because they've been laid in unconsciously for you, and they've been built up over time by your development of your ego, which is also really an unconscious forming, isn't it? You didn't really choose what your ego was going to be like growing up particularly. You found out who was the popular girl and you imitated her. Or if you didn't fit in, then you, you, you made an identity of, out of being the nerdy girl. Or if you didn't fit in with that crowd, you I mean, where did you fit? How did you slot? That became your ego development. You didn't actually choose it. You felt more like almost you got maybe um, pressed into it, right? But by this time, as a mature adult, you don't even think about choosing anymore. You just you say, "Well, that's who I am." And so, when it comes to discrimination, you have your your discrimination isn't like discrimination in terms of a negative. What's meant here is that the apple's different than the orange, and why? So it's that it's recognizing differences. So now, as a meditator, in terms of discriminating wisdom, you have to pull yourself out of your evaluation, which comes from your feelings, which you've already learned to balance a bit. Right? You've, al- you've already learned to equalize your feelings towards people in terms of, the, if not the ego level, at least in terms of the transcendent aspect of mind. Right? And so now you apply that to your, your wants and your desires, which comes next. Why do I want this? Why do I don't want this? What is there about this in this for me? And what isn't there in this for me? It's really hard to remember when you're up to your neck in alligators that your original intention was to drain the swamp. And your desire mind has always got you up to the neck and alligators, doesn't it? And you're always busy grasping after you want. And so busy trying to get that thing you want and avoid that thing you don't want that you don't really analyze what it is about the pond. Maybe if I change the water here, (laughs) the the whole issue would disappear. And what do we run into again in terms of the inertia in relationship to this process? Yep, security and habitual patterns are really the smoke screen the costume for comfort and security. And habitual patterns are its agent. By meditating, of course, you're temporarily uh, disengaging yourself from your habitual patterns, your desire fulfillment, right? your uncomfort avoidance. And so you don't really have much to do except sit there and watch them. And they come up, don't they? Want a tea, I need a nap. There's two ways to avoid meditation, at least. The main ones are get sick. I feel a sickness coming on. And the other is to run away. These are the, and so do you see this in your meditation? Part of you wants to run away at certain points. Just run away, run away. And you're like, oh, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I'm beat, my life was hard, right? I need a nap. Yeah. And again, don't put yourself down for these things. It's not like you're all of a sudden bad or failing. It's You're just human. The ego has four needs, right? And one of them is recognition. So how do you get recognition? You, you get it by being smart. You get it by being sexy. You get it by being uh, attractive. You get it by being charming. You get it by being capable. You get it by being obedient. You get it by being functional. How do you get attention? You get it by being supportive. The three needs, by the way, of the ego, just in case you're wondering, are stimulation, recognition, and structure. And structure will come to tomorrow. So this is more about stimulation and uh, recognition. Stimulation in terms of the senses, recognition in terms of the perception. What do you recognize? 
So uh, I used to survey. So when I walk down the streets, even in London, I notice the survey marks on the pavement. And you probably never see them. You know, you probably walked over the survey marks on the on the pavement of your town, never noticed them. I pick them up right away. I spent years doing that. So you see what I'm saying about perception? It's it's condition. Meditation becomes very important here because it's your place to look at the desire mind. It's your place to look at the perception mind and recognize that the word Amitabha, while meaning infinite light, also means infinite love. So you learn to love everything. So you expand your range. And if you want to look at it in a certain way, awakening isn't so much that you're fixing what's wrong or improving what's gone off as you are expanding your range to include what you exclude. And in that sense, when we talk about bitter holes to run to, we're not talking more about necessarily more safe and secure holes to run to. We're talking about wider, broader, and, and in a sense, more encompassing holes. And there, of course, is a way to becoming more intelligent, which is basically what this is all about. This is, this is about becoming more intelligent where intelligence just doesn't mean book knowledge, but includes all the nine intelligences that they sometimes use in modern education. When I was growing up, there was only really one intelligence, slumdog millionaire. How many questions of trivial non-relevancy to life can you answer successfully? How much esoteric, obtuse knowledge do you have so that you can get paid more money? Or the doctor or lawyer who's very smart, right? one of these people who has a whole lot of information. But that's only one of the intelligences. You have spatial intelligence, like an artist. Uh, you have, what else? You have emotional, emotional intelligence. You have corp athletic intelligence in the sense of good body coordination. And, you know, some people are really smart, but they, you know, walk into walls. So our intelligence is usually measured in a particular way. There's even something called spiritual intelligence, which some people don't have at all, which is the intelligence to see the universal picture of things. There are ways, Rinpoche Namjo Rinpoche mentioned two ways to increase your intelligence. Increase the range of what you eat and increase the range of your sexual experience. Now, both of those things are actually what kind of experiences? Thinking, feeling, sensing. They're actually both sensorial experiences, but both of those things tie directly into, don't they tie into your conditioning? what is acceptable or not acceptable sexually, what is acceptable and not acceptable in terms of what I eat, really ties you back into your conditioning at a feeling, a physical and emotional places, right? So the, the range then, increasing that range of experience also broadens your, your um, experience, obviously. And of course you get more compassion from that, don't you? And in, in terms of your action, it becomes wholesome. So if you have a bad feeling, your actions are going to be unwholesome. You're going to be caught in unwholesome behavior. So if you want a good experience, you produce it by developing friendliness. And friendliness means you can't be terribly judgmental in your discrimination of beings because the more your discriminations are based on personal and societal conditioning, the less wholesome you are because your love has gone down and you're becoming more negative in that sense. So unwholesome means choosing things that you may be habitually comfortable with but which aren't taking you forward. They're holding you place in a limited conditioning based on security and comfort. Now we got a big one on our table which is security and comfort. How much security and how much comfort do you need in order to get on with it?
And then where are you at in that equation? Are you too focused on security and comfort? Or maybe you need to be a bit more focused on security and comfort so that you feel you have the strength to get on with it. So the very first thing you're asked when you go to the monastery after you've been there a week is, are you feeling okay? I'm not talking about colds and stuff like that, which you just ignore because they're coming and going, but more chronic problems. Is your food okay? Is your diet all right? you have enough to eat? Are you getting enough rest? Is your bed okay? Do you, is your room clean? Do you have enough air? Are you feeling all right? Okay, that's taken care of. All right, get on with it. Get on with the exploration of the mind. And, and so fundamentally what our world is now is largely an exploration of phenomena. Right? We're really keen on the exploration of the outer space and stars and physics and chemistry and iPods and computers, that that exploration is very materialistically based and very externally based. But the inner exploration is becoming less and less popular. It's harder and harder to get people into meditation. Why? It's not stimulating enough. There's not enough stimulation. We become stimulation addicts. It's getting harder and harder to get people to meditate because the minute they stop moving, they start to have withdrawals. So people have finding it harder and harder to meditate for any length of period of time because They've lost all their feeds, temporarily, their stimulation feeds, which, of course, is one of the three needs of the ego, stimulation. And so when you start to meditate and you're doing Amitabha practice, this is a place where, um, rather than seeking after familiar and comfortable experiences, you just note the ones that are arising. And you go, wow, this I've, I've been sitting here today for eight hours on and off, and I spent the whole day thinking about my cherry pie. Mm, cherry pie, cherry pie, cherry pie, cherry pie. Yeah. And then you get sounds. Don't you get music coming up from the past? Or dialogues. This is a good one. Dialogues with old friends. What you should have said to her when she's... Right? Have you had that one? Oh, I should have. Now, of course, if you're keeping yourself externally stimulated all the time, none of this arises. And so we become addicts to external stimulation, and, and when we stop and the internal stimulation starts, it tends to most initially go on about the external. But as you give it more time, and you don't feed that particularly by running around, the external stimulation starts to slow down, because you're not doing anything, and you start feeding off your own fat. And you start feeding off your own internal stimulations in terms of memories in the past. So that takes a few days. And then as you start to feed off your, inter your stimulations from the past, your relationship with your mother or you know, old boyfriends or girlfriends, or you know, eventually that gets worn out. You kind of run through those tapes. Then it falls back another step and you get younger. So to get you back to the place where your sensorial stimulations and your sensorial evaluations and your sensorial preferences and your emotional reactions and ties and aversions to those things become clear. It takes a while, right? So we're trying to figure out some ways to speed the process up because we know we only have your attention for a short period of time. We don't have you for months and years to take you back to those early conditioned moments and give you now the freedom to make a different choice. So you have to do it faster. How can you do it faster? Are the challenges. Challenges can take you down real fast. Go through a whole lot of real quick, jump out of a plane. Whoa! Just short-circuited three months of meditation with that one. <laughs> um, yes. Weekly, monthly, yearly. yearly. Yeah. You don't sound very 
<laughs> and enthused about this. I'm, I, it sounds I'm, like you're lecturing at the University of London. It's <laughs> a weekly, monthly, and yearly. Yes. No, I, I'll put it in my diary, and, and we'll consider it somewhere around 2020. I'm sorry. I, I've written myself a weekly and a monthly, but I, I'm struggling with the jumping out of the airplane. Yes, well, do it together. Do it with friends. Take a couple of people with you and be each other. No, don't both of you be in charge. Today I did something I haven't done in uh, ever, right? So it's not hard to find a challenge. I mean, it wasn't a big challenge. It was fun. So anyway, we went uh, skeet shooting, um, clay pigeon shooting. Did remarkably poorly <laughs> uh, trying to hit that little clay pigeon. But, you know, there's boom and, a, you know, the recoil. I mean, it's not really terribly difficult. Do you have to change that every week? Or yes. Every, month? Yeah. every week it should be a different challenge. Mm -hmm. And again, remember, at the weekly level, it's habits. Mm -hmm. And while the yearly challenge seems unbearably impossible, the, the weekly challenge actually is more difficult because it messes with your day. You know, the, the yearly challenge just messes with your mind. But the daily one, you can't, you can't give it any real kick. You know, I didn't have coffee today. Do you feel sorry for me? Get over yourself, right? <laughs> Well, how to look good naked, you know, maybe for some of you that's a yearly challenge. Maybe for some of you it's like, can I get a job? <laughs> but again, the idea is friendliness, and this is your issue really when it comes to liberation in the end, is Amitabha, you know, <coughs> friendliness. Because you, you really need just two things for awakening really, is, is a, a good heart, the actual desire for the welfare of other beings, even if you don't like them. You don't have to like everybody. Don't get me wrong here. Awakening doesn't mean you like anybody. It just means that you wish them the best. And then, then those two things don't necessarily go together. Uh, so, oh, God, i got to like everybody? No, you don't. In fact, you can be a real old curmudgeon. You can dislike pretty much everybody from the ego preference level. But from the point of view of uh, wishing them their best success and wishing them their best unfoldment, that's not so hard to do, is it? So you need this friendliness, and then the next thing you need is determination. And in order to get the chaitna, or the determination, you need to see through this meditation thing in relationship to the sense basis. Desire, passions, cravings, covetousness, greed, and lust. Lust is fine, greed's fine, covetousness is fine, passion is fine, but it's not going to take you forward, because it's reinforcing the ego identity. So, curiously enough, you don't even have to give up your your covetousness, your greed, your cravings, and your lust. You just can't let it own you. And and that's really the key. That, that From the point of view of your ego, I crave potato chips. But from the point of view of transcendence, who needs them? Where the transcendence comes in is, is not never having another potato chip, but is not having a potato chip when it's kind of out of season. In other words, at 2 o'clock in the morning. And that's where the discrimination comes in. If you can control how angry you are at somebody for how long, for how much, the right degree, the right person, the right time, the right situation, you have to be awakened. Because the anger is not actually then anger based on your being messed with you. Your anger is based on their state as messing with the unit of state of the universe. It becomes a compassionate act. And to do that, you need Amitabha because Amitabha is loving kindness. It's a lot easier to have compassion for someone when you realize they're going to die. I mean, imagine the person you're angry at was going to die tomorrow because you're angry at them. Would you still want to be angry at them? 
part of your problem with your liberation process is that you don't allow yourself to be human enough. You're trying too hard to be like a sweet Jesus. Now here's my photograph of the Buddha. Here's my photograph of me. You know, match the two pictures, I'll be a Buddha. Uh, no, you have to allow yourself to be fully human. So if you're if you're angry or wrathful, be completely and totally, absolutely to extreme ends of the universe wrathful. It re, it becomes comical, right? So the the principle in philosophy is reductio ad absurdum. If you take any argument, right, and reduce it to its logical conclusion, it becomes absurd. Which is, of course, what the ego won't do. That's why the, you're stuck in the ego, is because you won't take your position to its extreme end and look at it from that point of view, and you go, "Wow, this whole thing is nuts. It's just a little bit farther. I'm living here, but if I go here, I'm starting to feel a little silly. And if I go out here, I'm feeling downright foolish. So you know, you're on the highway, somebody cuts you off, and especially if you're a guy, you gotta get up on his tail at 120 kilometers an hour, leaning on your arm, giving the finger, <laughs> weaving through traffic. You know, are you, you know, now okay, now we're gonna crash into a semi truck and it's gonna blow up, and all those people are gonna be turned to pulverization, and 500 people are gonna run, you're gonna die, but you're gonna have got even. <laughs> yeah. But when the emotions are up, discrimination is down. So we're not saying put down the emotion and you'll get discrimination. What we're saying is make that emotion really big and look at it. Make that emotion really big and look at it. Make that emotion really big and look at it. It gets silly. And then, then it has its relevancy because, you see, the emotions are trying to tell you a message where you're off. For more information, please visit clearskycenter.org. That's C-L-E-A-R-S-K-Y-C-E-N-T-E-R dot org. Thank you.